as David Hammond has already stated this morning, Bill and Joyce are out of town. They are in San Antonio doing uh, some family business, taking care of some matters there. And so in his absence, I uh, volunteered to speak on his uh, behalf. And yes, David, things will be different because we're not going to be listening to a, listening to a polished speaker this morning. Uh, you simply uh, you get what I can offer. But I do hope uh, that what I'm able to share with you will benefit us, uh, it will challenge us, and it will uh, help us to grow in our Christian walk. There is an old Indian saying which says, When you were born, you cried, and the world rejoiced. Live your life in such a way that when you die, the world cries and you rejoice. I want you to focus on the screens that are behind me just for a moment. Your life is a book from the cradle to the grave. What do others see in you? What do others see in me? I'm pretty certain that what we perceive of ourselves oftentimes is not what other people see in us. And so I want us to take time this morning to really reflect on our life's book. What are we writing? What are we saying to others through our daily living, through our walk through our speech, what do they see? Brian Faulkner wrote these words, life is like a book. There are good chapters and there are bad chapters. But when you get to a bad chapter, you don't stop reading the book because if you do, then you never get to find out what happens next. The book that we've written thus far in our life can't change. But what's your next sentence? What's your next chapter? More importantly, how does your book or how will your book end? I looked up some historical figures as I was preparing for this lesson this morning, and I'd like to share just a few snapshots of some people in history and talk a bit about the legacy that they've left behind. There was a man by the name of Flawed Drockel. He was a 15th century ruler of Wallachia, which is now present-day Romania. He was a man in his adult years who was notorious for his rampant use of torture and execution, mass murder, even against his own people. One day there was a group of Ottoman Turks who were advancing his troops. And so as they drew nearby, Vlad had his army massacre 20,000 men by impaling them 
on the banks of the Danube River. What he left behind and what he is remembered for is that kind of reputation. And he eventually inspired the name of the vampire that we know of today, Count Dracula. Grigory Rasputin was known as the Mad Monk. He steered Russia uh, toward total chaos. He was known to preach a doctrine that instilled in those who listened to him that salvation will only be possible through indulgence of sin. Fearing that he would lead Russia to total ruin, a group of aristocratic uh, conspirators poisoned him in 1916 with cyanide. Then they shot him in the head six times, and they dumped his body in the Nevka River. H.H. Holmes, born Herman W. Mudgett, was one of the most notorious serial killers in the United States. He lived in Chicago in the early 1890s. He built what he called his castle, which was actually a three-story inn that he turned into a torture chamber. He equipped the rooms with gas lines and soundproofed padded walls. He installed a greased chute that led to the basement of the inn where he had a surgical table and a furnace and a medieval rack. It is estimated that he murdered some 200 people. Not much of a legacy to leave behind. But there are good stories as well. We know in history of a man by the name of Mahatma Gandhi, He was noted by many as the kindest man of the modern world. He was honest. He was peaceful. Upon Gandhi's death, the prime minister of India said this about him. Friends and comrades, the light has gone out of our lives and there is darkness everywhere. I do not know what to tell you or how to say it. We will not run to him or seek solace from him. And that is a terrible blow, not only to me, but for millions and millions in our country. We read of Mother Teresa, one of the kindest women in all of history, I suppose. She established a society which was called the Missionaries of Charity. In her own words, she spoke of this charity by saying, It will feed the hungry, the naked, the homeless, the crippled, the blind, the lepers. All these people who feel unwanted and unloved and uncared for throughout society. People have become a burden to the society and are shunned by almost everyone. And even speaking of herself, she said, By blood, I am Albanian. By citizenship, I'm Indian. By faith, I am a Catholic nun. 
As to my calling, I belong to the world. As to my heart, I belong entirely to the heart of Jesus. So I ask again, what is your book read? How will you be remembered? What will be your next chapter? Philippians chapter 4 and verse 5 says, Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. 2 Timothy 2, 24 and 25. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all. In humility, correcting those who are in opposition. Why? So that they may know the Lord. Proverbs 15.1 A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. James 3.17 The wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy. Colossians 3 verse 12. As those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. And Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 2. I exhort you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. With all of that being stated, I want you to listen closely to this next point. It may be the most important thing I say this morning. There is nothing that shows your strength more than your gentleness. Or I may say it like this. There is nothing that shows your strength better than your gentleness. Now that may sound odd in our society, in our world. It might actually sound like it's a contradiction. But as we continue seeking and learning from God's word this morning, I believe it's going to make sense. And our challenge and my challenge for myself and for you is that we better equip ourselves and instill within ourselves a gentle spirit. It's just that important. Fred Rogers, we know him better as Mr. Rogers. He has this to say. Most of us, I believe, admire strength. It's something we tend to respect in others desire for ourselves, and wish for our children. Sometimes, though, I wonder if we confuse strength and other words, like aggression and even violence. Real strength is neither male nor female, but is quite simply one of the finest characteristics that any human can possibly possess. Here are some of my personal thoughts about gentleness and a gentle spirit. 
I believe strongly that gentle strength is the ability to do things that require a lot of mental effort. It's hard. It takes work. It takes energy. It takes patience. It takes love. It takes care. It's the choice to continue through the pain when the pain seems unbearably hard. But it's something that Christians must equip themselves with. I believe strongly that gentleness breeds peace. It brings about calm. It brings a consistency of character. A gentle spirit is not volatile. It is not abrupt to other people or to the world around them. A gentle person attracts the trust of others because of that strength. A gentle spirit, a gentle character is reliable. A gentle person is stable. And I believe this, and this is very important. I believe that everyone carries gentleness within the core of their being. My mom used to tell me time and time again, there's good in everybody. There is good in everybody, Davy. But sometimes you just have to dig really, really deep to find. Everyone carries gentleness within the core of their being. I believe the gentle spirit pulsates deep within the heart of every person. But sometimes it's hidden and it's darkened and it doesn't surface all that easily. And so I want to view some steps this morning that I believe will help us to become more gentle and allow that spirit to surface within our character so that we might become the people that God intends us to be. And I remind you, it takes work. And it takes a lot of it. A lot of it. If you want to develop a gentle spirit, first of all, be conscious of your own feelings. What do I mean by that? Typically, we don't like to confront how we feel about things, do we? We're not really all that honest, to tell you the truth. Not when people ask us how things are. We just have a way of sugarcoating and glossing over our natural emotional response to people and to situations. And I'll tell you, I believe that is unhealthy. I believe it's unhealthy physically. It will affect your body. It's unhealthy mentally. I can promise you that. It is unhealthy spiritually. We take such situations and we call them little white lies. But in reality, all lies are black. And they're darkened. And they hurt our spirit. And they hurt our character. The gentle spirit can acknowledge the truth of what is being felt. And still maintain respect of others. It is so important 
that we learn to be honest with ourselves. Number two, we need to use space between stimulus and response wisely. What do I mean by that? Gentle people embrace the space and time between what is happening to them and when and how to respond. That's what I mean by that. A gentle spirit is not reactionary. A gentle person will step back and ground themselves in thought and action before moving forward. A gentle person is strong and full of self-control, choosing if and how and when to react. You see, I believe it's very true that there are just some battles not worth fighting. It's better at times just to simply walk away. In the third place, very important, allow yourself to care. Allow yourself to care about other people, about the world, about your own hopes, about your own dreams. And if you ever decide to stop caring, this is going to happen to you. You're going to start resenting the emotional and physical effort that you've spent into whatever the situation might be. And it will also lead you to resent other people. And that's simply not good. Choosing not to care can and will become a default position. I think of the story of the Good Samaritan in the scripture. How the religious people that are involved in that scenario didn't react with gentleness, they just passed by. But the good Samaritan saw a need. He stopped and took care of that need. Warren W. Wearsby authored a small paperback book. You can get it on Amazon. I think it's only about $6. And it's entitled, How to Be a Caring Christian. I've read it a number of times, and I would advise you to read it as well if you've not. It has some great points just on how to become a more caring person. And then number four, take a deeper focus. Take a, deep, take a deeper focus. In other words, step back and ask yourself some very important questions regardless of the situation. Ask the question, why does this situation matter? You might need to ask, why is this person important? Because the gentle spirit will find reasons that ignite a positive motivation. A gentle person is aware of a deeper sense of purpose. So that when things seem futile, that person can always draw on a reason to continue that reaches far beyond their own ability to muster the strength they need. That's why we need Jesus. We can only do all things through Christ who gives us strength. And once you've taken those four steps and you're ready for the final, decide what you're going to do. 
Decide what you're going to do and do it. But rather than reacting, gentle people embrace their ability to choose. What a blessing. Just having the ability to choose. Gentleness has great insight to see implications and consequences of action. And a gentle spirit always acts wisely and responds that way. I gave you some historical figures and what they left uh, to remember about themselves. There is one who has the most gentle spirit of all. There is one who has the greatest strength that was ever known to man. And his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. And so for the remainder of my time this morning, I want us to look at his life. I want us to look at his book, not as deity, but as a man. As a man who left the realms of heaven. As a man who humbled himself and took on no reputation. As a man who took on flesh and dwelt among people just like us. A man who was tempted in every way that we are, yet without sin. And so let's thumb through some pages of his book, because it's well worth reading. It will better us all. Jesus was gentle. Time and time again throughout Scripture, we see the gentle spirit of Jesus, don't we? I like especially Matthew 19, Mark 10, and Luke 18. In those three passages, we find where little children were brought to Jesus, that he might touch them. His own disciples rebuked those who brought the children to Jesus. I like Luke's account especially. He says those children were infants. They were babies. And then Mark says Jesus took them up into his arms. He touched them. And he blessed them. Jesus was gentle. Jesus was loving. John 15, 12, and 13, This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. Again, over and over in the Bible, we see Jesus loving others. We see Jesus being love to others. As a matter of fact, the Bible says God is love. Jesus says, if you've seen the Father... You've seen me. So Jesus also is love. Jesus is forgiving. Luke 23, 34, as he hung on the cross, shedding his blood for our sins. He made the statement, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. The people who arrested him in the garden the people who took him before Pilate and Caiaphas, the high priest. 
but people who mocked him and spat upon him and tortured him and followed him to the cross and followed him to Calvary and laid him upon a cross and nailed him to it. People who simply did not know and were not aware of the full scope of their wickedness. Jesus still said, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. For their ignorance certainly did not mean that they deserved forgiveness. Nor do we. Nor do we. And that is why we learn in Scripture, it is by grace through faith that we are saved. It is not a merited thing. We do not deserve it. We fail him. We sin. But his blood washes us clean. Jesus was humble. Mark 10, 45, John 15, Philippians chapter 2. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. In John 15, we see Jesus kneeling and washing his disciples' feet. He made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of men. Jesus was humble. Jesus was compassionate. Matthew 9, 36. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them. Because they were weary and scattered like sheep, having no shepherd. Jesus had self-control. John 16, verse 33. In this world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Matthew chapter 4. When Jesus was faced by the devil himself in the flesh, Jesus overcame the temptation. Jesus had self-control. James 4, verse 7 says to us, Submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. 1 Peter 2, 23, Who, when he was reviled, speaking of Jesus, did not revile in return. Jesus was patient. 1 Timothy 1, 16 Paul says that he obtained mercy because of the long-suffering of Jesus. 2 Peter 2, verse 9, 3, verse 9, I'm sorry. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, but is patient toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Jesus was obedient. Jesus was honest. Jesus was prayerful. We could spend the entire day just talking about the quality traits that Jesus possessed. His life was full. His life was complete. He knew his purpose. He knew his mission. And he completed it with these final words on the cross. It is finished. And yet, although he made that statement, his book is still being read today by countless millions. And what an impact his story has on our lives. 
I love the way that the Apostle John ends his book. And there are many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that could be written about him. A man full of goodness. A man who had a true gentle spirit. And so how is your book being read through your actions, through your speech, through your daily lifestyle? What do others see in ye? I promise you, having a gentle spirit can and will be your greatest strength. It will open doors to the hearts of others that you could never imagine. And Jesus says the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. I love the words to this song that we sing occasionally here. Gentle shepherd, come and lead us. For we need you to help us find the way. Gentle shepherd, come and feed us. For we need your strength from day to day. There's no other we can turn to who can help us face another day. Gentle shepherd, come and lead us. For we need you to help us find our way. I'm guessing it was some 25 or 30 years ago that I wrote these words and I'll share them as we close. As we travel down life's pathway, we must hold our Savior's hand. He will guide us on our journey as we walk throughout the land. If we climb the highest mountain or sail across the sea, he will guide us on our journey. He's our shepherd. He will lead. Use your gentle staff to lead us. Guide our steps each passing day, leaving footprints of your presence as we go along life's way. You're our shepherd. We will follow. Lead us to our home on high. We will follow in your footsteps. Lead us gently till we die. I challenge all of us this morning to work hard because it takes hard work. To instill within our hearts a gentle spirit so that others can come to know the truth. That's our mission, isn't it? That's our mission. All right, David. Let's all stand and We'll sing the